Hi, everybody. You're listening to Talking About the Passion. I'm Thomas Irwin. This is a podcast where I interview different independent musicians and showcase their music. As for myself, I'm a singer-songwriter and producer who goes by Niagara Moon. You can look up more about my own music at niagaramoonmusic.com. For episode 31, we have Andy Zook. Andy is a guitarist, vocalist, and songwriter from the Seattle New Wave emo band Bears and Other Carnivores. I guess I don't know what either of those terms mean because I wouldn't have thought his music uh, was those genres, but it's really good, however you describe it. Uh, in addition to leading Bears and Other Carnivores, Andy has his own podcast where he interviews different artists and musicians in the Seattle scene. It's called Bad at Parties, great name. And he's almost up to 50 episodes so far. It's a really interesting listen. You can find it on SoundCloud or iTunes, same as this podcast. Definitely recommend you check that one out. Uh, he's had Drew Martin on there, along with some other guests you might have heard of if you're uh, up to date on the local music scene. Again, that's called Bad at Parties. As far as his music goes, Andy put out an EP with the band earlier this year called Rods and Cones. I'm going to play a track from that now called Gone Ghost.
Thanks, Andy, for coming over. Thanks, Thomas. Uh, hope the drive wasn't too long for you. No, it was very short. I live very close. <laughs> yeah. Coming from Ballard isn't too bad. You don't no. have to cross any bridges. No, I, I have to cross over I-5, um, but I just drive really fast and I close my eyes and it's fine. <laughs> so uh, are you from here or where did you grow up? Yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm a born, raised Northwesterner. I was, I'm from Arlington, which is about an hour north of the city, um, north of Seattle. And uh, yeah, lived here most of my life. Grew up real close. <laughs> wow. Arlington. Oh, yeah, I haven't heard of that one yet. It's, I know like Everett and no, Snohomish. No, there's no reason to. There's no reason That's to. kind of what Arlington. I'm quickly learning about the West Coast is like there's the city you've heard of and then there's not really anything else. No, and <laughs> I mean it's a lot of just little places to pop into on your way to a hike or on your way to a yeah, lake yeah. or something like that. Like, they exist, exist for tourism basically. Exactly. I grew up uh, on my folks' house. My dad built his house right next to the house that he grew up in. So like my grandparents live next to us my whole childhood and it's this house on the edge of the hill just overlooking like a valley and a river it's a beautiful beautiful area but very much like out in the middle of the woods and the boondocks huh yeah kind of calm place to grow up yeah definitely um pretty isolated i would say definitely was one of those childhoods that i spent more of my time by myself like the vast majority of my time by myself and like very little time going over to friends house or things like that yeah, because everything's so far away. And... Mm-hmm. and I'm usually walking there or biking there. And it's just like, ah, I don't want to walk to my friend's house. It's like a four-hour walk. Oh, my God. And I'm not doing it. <laughs> and uh, how early did you get into music? Yeah, um, I, I don't know. I've been doing music as long as I can remember. Um, my dad was a pastor, so I grew up in the church doing music and, and singing um, and just like growing up with pianos in rooms because that's what happens when you're in a church is there's just instruments. That's where I first started playing piano. Oh, did you? (laughs) Just noodled around on one for a little bit. And then my mom's like, oh, well, we'll start having you take lessons. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Did you like your first piano teacher? Uh, Yeah. That was outside of the the church. Mm -hmm. This very austere guy from from, uh, the Sichuan province in China. Mm. He, He wasn't like he was an excellent teacher and a good guy, but just he was not taking any crap. So yeah, was, very cool. It was nice to have that as a foundation. Yeah, I was just talking with my mom. I, I was hanging out with her and my dad, and we were just joking around, having like a drink with with my wife, and they were just talking about like, my wife was like, oh, I wish I had grown up taking lessons. And they were like, not if you had Andy's teacher. Mm. And I was like, it's true, I hated my teacher. <laughs> um, she... It was just like one of those terrible relationships. I think she was a lovely woman. I just couldn't stand her. My mom was like, when I told my mom I want to quit lessons, she was very much trying to like be like, no, you should finish things. You should stick to your guns. She was like, okay, you can quit, but you have to go to her and tell her this is my last lesson. Yeah, and I did. I went right to her. You ready? (laughs) Again, walked to her door. Like, took my lesson, and at the end was like, I'm not coming back again. This is my last lesson. I'm done. I was like nine. Wow. Like, I was very afraid as a child, <laughs> but I hated it enough. I wish I liked it. I, I so wish that I was better at piano still, but... Were you learning classical piano? Mm, I I mean, that was the aim of it, but, you know, it was still workbooks and things like that. I only did... I only took, like, formal lessons as a child for, like, a year. Hmm. So... Yeah, that was the thing for me was, like... I was kind of scared of my teacher, but I didn't dislike him either. But I just realized after a few years I had no interest in classical music. So that was right. kind of my excuse. I was like, I'm going in a different direction here. Mm-hmm. Did you pick up guitar after that? 
I, I've never played guitar. You've never played guitar? No. Oh, I play I a little. I play a little bit of electric bass, but I never oh. ventured beyond keyboards, really. Shoot. Yeah. I learned a thing. No, I listened to. So you you moved eating, on to guitar. I moved on to guitar. I uh, well no, I moved on to. I did singing for a long time. I did like theater singing and jazz and and uh, a little bit of like choral and then church stuff. But I started. I started by. Um, picking up the bass. So I played electric bass mm-hmm. um, and did that for a couple of years just because there was nobody else in like the youth worship band yeah, at the no church. no one wants to play bass. Nobody wants to play bass. But it made me like, also I loved singing. So I learned to play bass and sing at the same time um, so that when I like just found a guitar sitting around and started like noodling around with it and I was like, oh, I kind of, I know where the fourths and the fifths are from playing the bass mm-hmm. so I can figure out chord shapes because I also know that from playing you know I also played trumpet at that time in like a in like the school band so I was like okay I I have the basic knowledge to start figuring this out I found a little book and so I just self-taught on guitar based on that but it was so much easier to immediately go into songwriting knowing how to play and sing simultaneously Mm. from having played bass and singing at the same time wow so that was kind of your your way in. That was my gateway. To, to start uh, yeah. Yeah, singing and songwriting. Mm-hmm. So you didn't do that so much on keyboards? On piano? No. I mean, I don't know that I've ever written a song at the piano. I've definitely messed around. And I I did a lot of um, improvisational work at the piano for, for some stuff I did in the past. But um, no, not really any formal ro- songwriting at the piano. But uh, something about guitar clicked for you. Yeah. I um, Yeah. I, I've always... There's this terrible song I wrote as a child. I think it was five or six years old. And my mom, like, remembered the chorus. And she'll, mm. like, bring it up to me every uh. now and then. I'm like, that's not, that's not something that makes me happy. <laughs> and I don't, like, I don't know. Everybody got shit like that from their parents. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I just always was, like, writing little things or, or creating little yeah. ditties. I think all my terrible stuff from when I was 12 or whatever is just instrumental. So. Yeah didn't uh, stick in my parents' memories as much. No, thank God there weren't iPhones or like uh, tablets or anything like that yeah. at that time where they could just start recording. Like we didn't have a video camera at our house. Like there was no way they could have recorded we, that. Stuff. We had one, but it was just a pain to set up. And right. And you had to keep buying cassettes. Can so. you imagine? I see kids who like pull out their tablet and then they record themselves and then it's also their parents' work tablet and then they've just got like all this stuff and it's just like no get rid of that kid get on there and delete that stuff because that is going to come back to haunt you i don't envy kids growing up today with all the just so much documentation of every little thing Uh, although they do have like everything i write now i write um by voice memos on Uh, my phone you know it's just so easy to like the quickest way it's the quickest way or if like i'm walking i'm very much the type of person that i write melodies and i write guitar parts and I do those very separately mm. and then I will bring the two together and like both of them will often change yeah. when I'm creating the kind of the first structure of a song but for the for the vocal part of it so much of that will happen in the moment like I'm walking or I'm driving or something like that and I'm just like oh I need to just sing this part yeah it just comes to you yeah and you just kind of hold up your phone and you're like well I'm on the bus do 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 do. Yeah, yeah. Or a cafe. Yeah, yeah, or a cafe. Or you just like, okay, I'm gonna sing this very quietly, and I'll remember it later. Yeah, that sounds pretty familiar. Yep. But uh, to say that would be so great as a child trying to grow up, because I remember so many things that I had where I would like, you know, you're writing at the very beginning of like middle school, high school, elementary school, trying to write music, and you just have to remember it, and if you forget it, it's gone. 
It's mm. just straight up gone. Yeah. And then if you're lucky, it resurfaces like a year or two later. It does. Somehow. Yeah. I mean, I had, I had so many journals that were just filled with like lyrics written with the chords written in. And like sometimes I would even write in like the melody. I wasn't very good at that. Um, again, didn't stick with piano. <laughs> but um, that was how I had to remember it. And so then I would just look at that and play it and like, no, that's not how the strum pattern goes. That's not, how, oh, that's kind of what it is. And so I'm sure that those songs changed over time because I didn't have a true solid, this is what this right, song right. is. Yeah. Yeah. Before I learned um, chords, like before I got into jazz a little bit more and just learned uh, music theory and stuff, like mm -hmm. scales and chords, I was relying on sheet music right. still if I had an idea when I was totally 12 or 13 or whatever and that was such a hassle yeah i mean you out. write down the okay this is the part my right hand's playing by the time you're done with that what the fuck was i playing yeah. with my left hand <laughs> yeah uh it doesn't matter i've got that melody yeah yeah i didn't because i wasn't on guitar i didn't understand tabs or nothing right so um so you got into guitar mm -hmm. after uh rebelling against your uh, piano teacher rebelling against the piano teacher and uh when were you, I guess you were always playing with other people like at church and stuff? Yeah. So it's always been collaborative or I, as long as I've been playing songs, like it started in, in that setting. So I knew kind of the fundamentals of, of a structured band. And I also, you know, was in a, uh, in elementary school and in, or I guess in middle school and high school was in a, um, in a, in a band for like a, like a wind ensemble type thing where I played trumpet and I had a great teacher who, uh, and I think that that's where a lot of the concepts that I still use today around, um, how do you structure sound? Like, how do you share elements? Why do things sound, can things be quiet, but still have a lot of fullness to them? And just really the art that can be a part of that and the things that are nuanced and it's like, well, this is how this feels and this yeah. is why this feels good and this is why this feels bad even though you're playing the right notes and you're playing them in time it it still can feel terrible just having somebody who is great at articulating that and that you liked um it was just a great band teacher so that made it accessible in 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 kind of coming into um just playing in with groups of people and and leading worship bands or things like that or, or church bands so that they're you know with just a sense of oh this is here's some ideas Here's some things that we could do to change that. Hmm. And uh, when did you start playing outside the uh, the church? Yeah. Um, was that like in high school? Yeah. I Yes. So I started my first band with one of the kids who went to the church who was also at the, who was also playing music with me there. Um, and he's still my best friend to today. We, we started this band called Sea Fever in high school that we carried on through like most of my college experience. And mm. we played around Seattle. We did a, a bunch of different stuff. We got to play some, some really cool shows in most venues here. Um, and it, yeah, that was a, a great experience, but just kind of started playing with him and a couple other kids and structuring it and saying like, I've got these songs. I, I have some drum ideas. I have some bass ideas. Here's what we want. And a lot of different people played in that band, but he was um, the only other, well, no, there were two consistent members, him and then another high school friend, Annie Thorderson. So Jonathan Keen, great guy, plays in a lot of bands now. Cool. Yep, out in this area. But uh, eventually that came to some sort of conclusion. And yeah, then... um, so college ended 
Yeah. And um, I had been doing music therapy for my undergraduate. Um, oh. Yeah, yeah. So that was a, a big part of that. It, once I was done with college, I had to do an internship. So I moved out to upstate New York. And I was talking before the podcast a little bit about improvisational piano and like just kind of learning some of that as part of it. So that is where I spent most of my time at piano is I worked at this um, developmental disability center doing improvisational um, music therapy, mostly from the keyboard. So a lot of my keyboard knowledge is theory and improvisation. Like I sit down with sheet music and it, I can figure it out, but I still hate it. Like I like to just sit down and be like, okay, let's just make stuff up. Let's just create. Yeah, yeah. Let's, yeah that's yeah. where I'm at too. Mm-hmm. But uh, So doing music therapy on the keyboard, are you playing kind of new age or how does that What's that whole thing like? Yeah, um, it's really driven. I mean, I'm no longer. I, You're I've not left, doing that now. I'm not doing yeah. that now. But when I was doing that, um, it's very much something that's driven by the client and by the the person you're working with. Um, so a lot of your preference goes out the window. Uh, I mean, yeah. very much it's, it's still... It's a job. It's a job. Yeah. It's relational. Uh, I mean, similar to if you were um, a visual artist and you were working with a client and you said, okay, what do you want? to have made. Of course, your own artistic elements are going to be brought into that. Your, your visual, um, ideas and like your judgment's going to be a part of that, but you're going to create something that they want. If not, you probably won't get paid. So a lot of times that's where it comes from. If you're working with a client that has a lot of their experience and emotional energy comes from classic rock, that's probably what you're going to end up doing. Hmm. So you got to be really versatile. Yes. It takes a lot of versatility. It takes a lot of, you know, meeting people, listening to them, finding out what you need to learn and saying, great, I don't know that. I'm going to go learn it and I'll come back next week with some ideas. So what does this look like? Like it's one person sitting in a room with you and you're just playing while they lie on a couch or? No, uh, I mean, it's very different. You think about, I like to compare music therapy to if somebody hasn't experienced that before to, to like physical therapy. Um, a physical therapist might use a basketball as part of a therapy program. Now, Mm. obviously my goal is not to teach you to play basketball. That would be somebody else's job. My job is to use this basketball as a tool to accomplish some physical goal that we have already. So music therapy is very much saying, great, music is the tool, but our goal is physical or psychological or emotional or uh, sociological. Kind of really depends on the role. So um, say you've got somebody who recently injured their arm. And they, um, for whatever reason, can't do typical physical therapy. Or uh, maybe they also have a learning disability, so um, the pain that's involved in physical therapy is really aversive to them. And they're like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to do this. So, But they have a lot of joy around music. You can get them playing the drums, or you can get them playing the keyboard or the guitar or something like that. Something that Mm. involves their using their arms. So it's saying, great, this is motivating to you. So we're going to accomplish, and I'm going to structure this in a way that you are moving in the way that you need to be moving. We're taking breaks when we need to be taking breaks. Oftentimes, you're working in partnership with that physical therapist saying, what do you need them to do? So okay. it's, it's more like being a music teacher, kind of. I mean, it's a music teacher, but the goal isn't music. Right. The goal yeah. is to have them feel better. Right. Feel better, uh, heal. Yeah. 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 Measurable goals is a big part of it. Yeah. Yep. Oh. That must have been pretty interesting. Yeah. I mean, it was great work. Most of my work was with people with developmental disability or at-risk youth. Um, So yeah, lots of cool uh, stuff there. Lots of hard stuff, but yeah. 
So you were doing that in upstate New York. Mm-hmm. And then uh, how long were you up there before you came back to Seattle? Yeah, about nine months. Um, so it was a nine-month internship um, up in the Adirondacks in this place called the Center for Discovery. It's a really cool space that's kind of like multiple towns spanning 300 different clients all using uh, the services there. They have multiple music therapists, multiple interns that are there. Um, yeah, absolutely phenomenal place. And then I was just there. There was snow on the ground the whole nine months. And as soon as it melted, mm. I left. Wow. Yeah. And uh, after coming back to Seattle, uh, is that when you started Bears and Other Carnivores? Um, I had been writing a lot. Um, you know, it was a very isolated place. It was... You know, upstate New York is yeah, basically... Yeah, there's not much out there. No, no, no. Uh, I mean, it's all of... I was only like an hour north of New York City, and you could probably right. go like six more hours north and still be in New York. Like, yeah, yeah. It's all upstate. But um, just being there was kind of an isolated environment. Yeah, you didn't know anybody. Didn't know a lot there. of people. I made some friends, but it was a good time to just kind of self-reflect, write some stuff, challenge what I've been writing. Sea uh, Fever, that band I mentioned before, was very much kind of a folk rock band. And then as I was trying all these new styles and, and, and thinking about things differently and, you know, also thinking about what do I want to do with my life? How am I accomplishing this? It was a good time to start writing different types of music and, and challenging myself and um, starting to play electric guitar then as well. I'd never played electric guitar really at all, just a couple little things here and yeah. there. So starting to mess around with that. Um, so when I came back, it was probably still a good year to a year and a half before I started bringing anybody else into like, a, hey, I, I miss playing music with people. I yeah, want to yeah. start doing this again. Yeah. Mm. Your current band, Bears and Other Carnivores, mm -hmm. how many people is that now? Yeah, it's a four-person band. It was, uh, it was a four-person band originally where it was bass, guitar, drums, um, and then also there had been a violinist for a little bit Ooh. and a cellist. So we had gone back and forth with some string parts, trying some different things, very much experimenting, working through different sound ideas. It was fun. It's gone through a lot of transformations. It's, it's had some different names, but, um, over the last year, um, we brought on Aaron McConkey. He's our electric guitarist. He is our bass player's brother, Brian McConkey. Mm. Um, and so, He's been playing electric guitar. He was my freshman roommate in college. And oh. I've known him for a long time. He's, he's great. He, he mixed our last EP as well. Um, and he's just like, help. it's been so exciting to say, like, we've got this concept. We've worked to this place where we know the sound we're trying to accomplish. How do we execute this well? And just bringing him into the band was just like, that's it. That's, awesome. that's like taking these parts we'd been writing on different instruments and putting them um, in the right tone, in the right, in the right shape, and just be like, yes. And then also adding, of course, the own creative elements that he's writing to that mm. as well. And uh, so you are also the guitarist in the group? You play guitar and sing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I play primarily rhythm guitar, and then I sing, um, and I write a lot of the... I often write structure and lyrics, and then bring it into the band shape once we've... Um, got kind of a here's the here's the foundation yeah and then we start building from there a lot of times foundation will even change we'll say yeah. we don't need that extra verse we can repeat this section um, I don't like these chords you know it's a it's very much a, a collaborative space a safe space um, that everybody is contributing in right so. you you bring something that everybody can start with mm -hmm. and then uh, to really bring it to fruition that's process everybody takes part in. Absolutely. And that's, you know, that's something we've been talking about a lot too, is what does it look like to start with something from zero and just kind of jam and create, which 
I have zero experience. And so we've tried it a bit um, and it's hard. It's mm. It makes me feel shitty. <laughs> it makes me feel really shitty about my ability to yeah. do stuff like that. But it's been a good challenge to engage in that and be like, great, that yielded nothing. We have nothing as a result of that hour of work, but we did it. And I think that that's a big part of, of music that some people can lose out on is that is really just play. It doesn't always have to result in product and it doesn't always have to be yeah. marketable. Like there has, there, you know, it could just be joy. It could just be the experience. And like, that's where learning a lot of the time comes from. And you'll also go through that when you're working by yourself, even you'll, an hour will go by and you tried some stuff and nothing clicked. Sure. And that'll happen. That's sure. part of it. And self-consciousness is usually what prevents that in a group format. People are like, I don't want the shame of playing the wrong note. And so because they feel that they also don't give other people grace when somebody else plays the wrong note. So that's a big part of what we focus on. It's just like, how do we make a space where I can try something, fuck up, and that's a good thing? Like that means that we're we're going in the right direction. Totally. Yeah. Wow. So who came up with that name, by the way? Bears uh, and other carnivores. Yeah. Uh, our our bassist, about? Brian. Yeah. Okay. We were we were working with Jonathan Keene, who I mentioned before, who was in the band Sea Fever. He now um, just started a record label in Anacortis um, con- called Monopath. It's mm. uh, he uh, is doing it in partnership with Nick from the band Bellamane, and then uh, John Van Dusen, who's formerly of the band The Lonely Forest, now playing under his own name. Um, so this, uh, we were working with them before Monopath had an official published title. They were still messing around with the name, though. Yeah. They'd already used the word Monopath. Um, and so we were just demoing there, trying out some tracks. Never did anything with those initial demos, but when we were there, we found this old, old Time magazine book mm. called Bears and Other Carnivores uh. that had this cool picture of a bear, and he was like, that's the name. So actually, later, we went and took the book from them, and so we still have it. So just took it from a book. He, they're, <laughs> they're big bear fans. They both have bear tattoos unrelated to the band. Um, well, there, so there's other stories fit. involved in that for both him and Brian, uh, Aaron and their other brother, uh, Colin. They go a long way back with sure. bears. Yeah. Bear, bears from, from way back when. And so in addition to the band that, uh, you're doing right now, you also produce a podcast very similar to mine. Yeah. Yeah. Also do the podcast. It's called Bad at Parties. And that's been cool. It's been, it just hit its one year anniversary about uh, a month congrats. ago. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I've missed... I took a I took a couple of months off, and then I've taken a couple of weeks off here and there. But for the most part, it's been a, every single week, and it's been so exciting. It's been a really cool experience lately. So, what inspired you to start that? Mm, yeah, um, we were talking uh, before again before the podcast. We were talking about you made it weird with Pete Holmes. Yeah. I was listening to that as a podcast. I got into podcasts the way a lot of kind of newer listeners did with uh, when Serial's first season came out. Um, yeah, that was a big one. It was a big one. A lot of people started listening. If you hadn't been listening, I had listened a little bit to This American Life, a little bit to other things, but didn't have like, the podcast app was just on my phone. Right, I didn't, right. I was like, what are podcasts really? Um, you get tired of Ira Glass's voice pretty quickly. Or at I least mean, I do. May, some people do. Man, I was, I was listening to This American Life on the way over here. Um, <laughs> this really interesting episode. So anyways, I still like it a lot. Okay. But, but yeah, I, I, I get that. I, I'll have that with any podcast where I it's a, eventually at some point I'm like, okay, I can't listen to you yet for a little bit. I need a break. But um, just kind of listening to those and hearing them, um, there was this 
thing that I was experiencing, I was all simultaneously going to therapy, still am, really like my therapist, he's really great. Actually, over in Wallingford, if anybody needs a therapist, uh, uh, Dominic, he's great. I don't know how you could contact him. DM me, somebody, reach yeah. out to me. I'll introduce you to my therapist, he's Start fantastic. Up with Dominic. Dominic. Um, so I had been thinking a lot about um, you know, where I, how I felt disconnected from people. I think there's this interesting thing that happens as people kind of move into their thirties, um, maybe different phases in life for different people. But I really saw myself losing connection with people and finding myself more and more isolated. And then my times where I was with people felt, um, somewhat generic or, or like I couldn't truly connect. Um, and so I, I was realizing that I just didn't feel like I could truly connect a lot of the time in those settings. Um, and I wanted to do a podcast. I thought it was interesting. I liked the conversations. I felt more connected with the people I was listening to than with a lot of my friends. And I was like, why don't I just do this hmm. with people I care about and with artists that I wish I could connect with? Those people that you go to a show and then they're done and they're over at the merch table and you come over and you say some shitty thing that you hate and you <laughs> just go away judging yourself. It's always hard to come up with something to say. Yeah. And you're never sure if, wait, do they have to like leave in 20 seconds? And right. I'm annoying them right and now. And I do that and I would find myself replicating that feeling to just people I care about in day-to-day -day life oh. where I felt, found myself seeing people as inaccessible for whatever reason. And instead it was just like kind of a way to say, no, I want people to be accessible. No matter who they are, I'm interested in them. I don't think they're interested in me, but I'm not going to live that way. I'm going to live like they are interested in talking with me as well, like I do have something to contribute. And I think just kind of it's been a mindfulness activity. It's been a good way to live into something that I believe in. Mm. Um, yeah, and it's been it's been great. And it's drastically change the way that I feel on a day-to-day -day basis by kind of modeling that for myself, what it looks like in a controlled environment. Wow. So it's kind of another version of therapy for you. Absolutely. I mean, uh, one of my favorite uh, professors always said, research is me-search. And I, I think that it's super <laughs> true. Like anything that you're doing on those projects is really most of the time you're actually trying to understand yourself better. And have you found it's contributed to your music at all? Like has it connected to the band's activities in any way? Like you've learned some stuff or you've ended up collaborating with people that you've met or? Yeah, um, shows have happened as a result of it. Um, I think the biggest thing that's happening as a result of it is I'm hearing the way that some musicians that I really respect um, and talk with, hearing the way that they go about, you know, booking shows, selling things, and just having that space to ask them those questions. Um, that's been really helpful and just kind of resource sharing has been a big part of it. Um, but I think the biggest thing is just like saying, no, this is what I am. This is what I do. I, when I introduce myself to people and like, what do you do? I'll say first of all, like, oh, well, I'm a musician. I do a podcast. And then I also tell them like my job and, uh, and, but I try to start with, I'm a musician. And yeah. I think that that mindset, uh, has been a big part of it. Mm. Um, coming into the band saying, Hey, I worked on stuff this week. Yeah. Rather, instead of, hey, well, we practiced last time. I didn't touch my guitar in between. Uh, let's just do exactly what we did last time, mm. just to say constantly. Yeah, like, being a little I'm more disciplined about it. Being more disciplined. Discipline has been a huge part of it, yeah. Wow. And uh, where do you uh, hope the band goes coming up? How do you hope uh, things continue to grow and evolve? Yeah. Um, we all work full-time jobs. We're married. Some of us mm. have kids. 
Um, a tour sound like it'd be tough. Yeah, and none of us want to. Yeah. Like that's you not, like staying where you are. We, I mean, I I think that we like. I would say we like staying where we are isn't quite it. It's more that that's not the trajectory or the velocity of our lives right now. Mm-hmm. I want to to go on the road a little bit and play some music by myself. So I think I'm going to oh. be doing some of that. I'm actually working on booking some of that for the end of the summer. Neat. Yeah. But um, for the band, we talk about like we, this is very much a, a hobby for us in the sense that it's not supposed to be monetarily gainful. Mm-hmm. It's not something where we're trying to make it our livelihood. Um, but it is something that we want to be contributing the same amount of energy and um, music, uh, musical kind of focus as we would if it was that. So yeah. I think that that's been really healthy that we there's not this fear of like, what if this isn't good enough to cut a check? Or what if this won't right, sell you don't shoes, have those kind you know? of strange external pressures. You're just exactly. trying to make the best music you guys can. Exactly. I mean... Uh, at the at the end of it all, I I want to be writing the music that I care about, that I want to listen to. Playing shows is fun, touring is fun, but it by no means do I feel like that has to be. I don't even think I want that to be the way I make money. That sounds exhausting <laughs> to me. I really it like. It sounds the, like a grind. It yeah. sounds like a grind. No, I I see friends that are doing it as their full time job. Some of them with fantastic success, some of them with less success. Um, but no matter what, it's it's running and own your your own business. And I like having a boss. I like somebody else okay. having to cut the check. You know. All right. So in that sense, you're not independent. You wanna you're you wanna work for somebody else. You don't wanna have to be your own boss. Exactly. I mean, I feel so much more free to to create the music that I want to and to work on the schedule that feels appropriate to me. So it's been great. I think it's been a very healing process to, to kind of enter in that space and find people that also feel like they're like, yeah, I just, I'm happy to meet up every week to practice, to book shows every month or a couple times a month or stuff like that. But no, we don't need to go to California. We don't need to go to Idaho. Sunset's a great venue. I love the sunset. Yeah, sunset's such a fucking good venue. Yeah, that is the thing about Seattle in particular. It's really easy to just stay active here because there's so many different venues in different parts of town. Yeah, there's a lot of other people interested in independent music. And- Absolutely, and you know, I, I I see some people that are doing music really different. I think that the music uh, market is changing a lot. There, I mean, the the best thing you can do as a musician is write small things that can be put onto a commercial, that could be put onto like an app or something like yeah. that. Like those are monetarily Licensing. Gained. Licensing is a great amount of funds. If you can also tour, that's a huge way to make money, but only if you've got good backing and you've got good, uh, the ability to like put down some serious cash to invest in it. Yep. Um, so I don't know. I think that there are tons of ways that you can be monetarily gainful without leaving. Like, I think it's just at the end of the day, you've got to come to terms with, I'm trying to decide what do I want my lifestyle to be? What do I, what, what is the version of myself or who is this character that I'm creating that I've cast myself as? And if you can find a way to do that, and have music as a part of that, do that. It doesn't have to be this construct that looks like it did in the 1950s. Like, that's not a real thing anymore. Yeah, yeah things have changed so yeah, much. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, that's a great way to look at it. All right, man, thanks so much for coming over today. Yeah, that went so fast. That was fun. Yeah, we're, um, I'd love to chat for a little longer. We're also, uh, kind of the way I scheduled this today, we're playing the Alki Art Fair. Oh, nice. And uh, we're going to get, picked up pretty soon Dude, so that's, probably that's great that's great that's super but, good and you're also playing on the 27th is that right yeah we're playing on 27th and the 29th although when 
people uh, hear this it'll in the be future, August. it'll it'll have already happened. Nice. Yeah, we we have way too many shows <laughs> this That's week. That's great. Good. Congratulations. July dude. gets you busy. But anyway, yeah. Thanks again, and uh, I'll keep listening to Bad at Parties. Thanks, Thomas. I'm a fan. Cool. All right. Woo. That was Andy Zook. I'm glad I got a chance to meet the man behind the so-called podcast curtain. Look forward to hearing more episodes from him for sure. And hearing some more tunes from bears and other carnivores in the future. If you liked this episode of Talking About the Passion, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Sign up for the Niagara Moon mailing list if you would like to get weekly updates on the podcast and for my musical project, Niagara Moon. Go to niagaramoonmusic.com and scroll down to enter in your email address. Find the podcast on Facebook at Talking About the Passion. I'm also on Twitter at TATP Podcast and on Instagram at Niagara Moon Music. If you want to write in with any suggestions, questions, or comments about the podcast, please email TATPPodcast at gmail.com. The theme song for Talking About the Passion is the Niagara Moon song Pantheon Bar off my recent album, Eating Peaches. All right, now to finish up the episode, I'm going to play another song from the Rods and Cones EP. This is called The Night. Thank you very much for tuning in, and I will see you next Wednesday. Good luck, you're barely through the night, and you feel the